Welcome to the Rankin Baptist Church Podcast. Please note that all or some of this podcast may have been recorded during our live physical services at Rankin Baptist Church. Therefore, sound quality may be affected in some areas. We hope you enjoy the podcast. God is planning to include you in good things. Amen? God will include you in good things and big things and new things. If you believe, and even if you don't believe, you'll be one of those people that God is going to be favorably disposed towards because He's already promised it in His Word. So God's nature and His actions are predictable once we know His Word. I'm looking at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. It's the parables of the love of God. Love of God the Father for lost sinners. We're going to read the two verses, the beginning of the chapter. Then we're going to jump around to down to verse 11 and then again to verse 32. If you're there, please follow Luke 15 verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Verse 11, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. So Jesus is now trying to speak to them, address this issue of why it is that I hang around sinners. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So we get on to verse 32. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now Luke chapter 15, as I mentioned, is contains three stories about the love of God for sinners. We find it opening with a critical attitude of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, religious leaders. And they had a problem with this one thing, very strange. Jesus was overly friendly towards sinners. In actual fact, he made sinners feel happy, comfortable around him. He even went so far as to eat with them. Now that was just the last straw for them. These people should have been put in their place. They should have been told, ye sinners, 
the fire of hell awaits ye, and he should have preached something like that. But Jesus said, hey, let's have a meal together. And they were like, this is wrong. This guy does not know God. Little did they know that they were right. This guy does love sinners. Because Jesus' message was about the heart of God, the truth of God, that gets corrupted among the religious establishments of our day. It happened then, it happens today. So Jesus has come to earth to reconcile us to God. Now how else could he reconcile us to God without befriending us? If he kept us at a distance, we'd never know the heart of God. So Jesus tells three parables, each of which confirms this fact. Now these parables are not parables in the Bible. They're stories about your life. They're stories about my life. Everything that we read here rings true. The English writer Charles Dickens, who was considered to be a literary genius, wrote works such as, you may know them, you may not, A Christmas Carol, David Copperfield, Oliver Twist, A Tale of Two Cities, Great Expectations, and many more. He was asked, as this great storyteller, what do you consider to be the greatest story ever written? He said, for me, it's the parable of the prodigal son. That's the best story I've ever come across. So we're going to look at that, and of course we've read the, the parable. So, this is the story, as I said, with all, of all of us. It's true of our journey with God. It's true of all people. It started with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden with their father, reconciled, had a strong relationship, decided they wanted to leave, and they wanted to explore the world. God said to them, you may roam this garden. You may eat of any tree, and there were thousands of trees. There's only one tree that you must not eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you're going to die. They said, all the trees are good, but we want what we can't get. We want that tree. And of course, they jeopardized their relationship. Now, how many people have jeopardized their relationship with, the world, uh, with God because of their attractions to the things of the world? How many people have known God, strayed from God, some have come back and some are still straying from God. We see this true in so many people's lives. The first parable in this series of a year in um, Luke chapter 15 talks about the good shepherd who goes and looks for the lost sheep that wanders away. So it concludes in verse 7. I tell you that there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need. God is happy. To go and look for the lost. The next one is a widow or a woman who goes to look for a coin that she lost. She finds it and she calls her friends to come and celebrate. It ends this way. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we see a little pattern here. Something goes lost and God goes to look for it. Now we come to the parable of the prodigal son and things change a little bit. This son is not lost. He's already found. He's with the father. But he decides to stray. Now we don't see the father going to look for him. The father stays behind and waits. But then we see something that a sheep can't necessarily do and a coin certainly cannot. We see a son, a human being, who's able to come to their senses, see that they've made a mistake and return. But now the question is, when they return... And they've, they've left under bad circumstances. If they were to return, would the father take them back? And the answer is yes, the father would take them back. Because it's a parable about God's willingness to forgive. So let's jump into the par parable 
a little bit deeper. First, I want to tell you, and I said that these parables are the stories of our own lives. I want to tell you a recent way in which this story was lived out on earth. This is the life story of a son who grew up in the home of an evangelist. Perhaps the most famous evangelist of the 20th century. His father was known to lead many millions of people to the Lord. He was a preacher's creed kid. But as he grew up, he became rebellious. He was a rebel, a college dropout, a party boy, a carouser. He smoked. He drank hard liquor. He got into fights on a regular basis. In actual fact, his name was well known with the local jailer. He'd been in jail many times. Now that boy, he did come around a little bit later, but he said, you know, I blame my wild ways of my mother. She had a little bit of an adventurous spirit, and I think I got it from her. But whatever my mother gave me, I took that wild spirit and I got really vult. I went all the way, way further than my mom went. And he said this, you know, there were days that he wouldn't want to go to school, and he'd just lock himself in the room. He'd say, Mom, you're not going to get me. I'm not going to school. You know what his mother would do? She would take firecrackers, put it under the door, and throw them in. He said, well, since you want to stay home and sleep, let's see if you're going to sleep through that. And of course, he came out. Well, he encountered God later in his life, and he repented of his behavior. His father, having seen him turn around, wanted him to succeed him in his evangelistic ministry. He wanted to hand it over to him. But the board of directors of that organization said, this boy has turned away once. He's got a bad reputation. This is not the person that we want to be associated with this ministry. And they refused. That boy went and started his own ministry anyway. And he said, that's fine. I understand. And he said, my dad used to preach from pulpits, but I want to preach in the streets. So he started a ministry that was partly social welfare, it was called Samaritan's Person. They took care of the real day-to-day -day needs of the poor. A little bit later, his father insisted, that's the person I want to succeed me. The board of directors, sorry. The board of directors noticed that he had, had in fact changed. And they decided, okay, they're going to agree to his father's desire that he would be the successor to his father. He was now heading up two ministries. Do you know the name of the son? It was Franklin Graham. Do you know his father? His father is Billy Graham, the great evangelist. Preacher's kid that went rogue. It can happen to anyone. It can happen to any family. And if you're beating yourself up about a child that went rogue, listen, Billy Graham's son went rogue. There is no better foundation that he could have been given than to have grown up in Billy Graham's house and yet went rogue. But he came back. Your son and your daughter can come back. Give God a chance. Don't give up on them. You just leave the light on so that they'll know where to come to. We look at the details of the story. The son left home with his father's wealth. Now, he had no regard for the father's welfare. I mean, he didn't even wait for his father to die. He said, I'm leaving and I want the money now. I know I'm supposed to get it later, but I can't wait for you to die. I want the money now. Now, for Jewish society, that was a total, total disrespect. That's about the most insulting thing that you could do to your father. 
is leave with his wealth, not even waiting for him to die. But the father let him go. He didn't stop the son. He knew that if his son really wanted to uh, enjoy the attractions of the world, there's nothing he was going to be able to do to stop his son. He had an itch. He wanted to scratch it. Go and scratch. Let that itch be scratched. And so he left. Now he could have warned him about the dangers of the world, but you know there's no talking to a stubborn son and a stubborn daughter. There's no talking. There's no reasoning. If he didn't want to learn the lesson from the father, he'd have to learn it in the world. And unfortunately, the world's not a nice place. You learn by experience in the world. Sometimes there's no amount, of, no amount of wildness in a person that can be satisfied in the safety of their parents' home. They have to get it out of their system. And it can be heartbreaking because you as a parent know what is out in the world. Well, he wasn't ready for life apart from the father. Not as ready as he thought and he fell away quickly. His money ran out. His companions deserted him. The good life came to a sudden end. He had squandered his, life, his wealth on wild living. It seemed he learned nothing from the father. He couldn't even take some of that money, invest it in a farm and reproduce the wealth. No, he was going to take it and have a party. He'd left without his father's guidance and he hadn't built up enough moral fortitude to face the world. He had been launched too early, but he launched himself and that was the problem. Now, if we lift the pages off the Bible and fix it over humanity's experience on earth, we'll see how perfectly this tragedy plays out in people's lives, in real families, on a regular basis. So many stories of children that run away from home. I'm leaving because the rules are too strict in this house. You don't understand me. I need freedom. I need to be my own person. Or how about this one? We're in love and we're going to get married and we're going to go off on our own whether you bless us or not. Too many prodigals, they return penniless and they return pregnant and they return abandoned and alone. The world chewed them up and spat them out. Isn't that the truth? Then his life fell apart. He went to work for a Gentile non-believer. And this man didn't have any sympathy for him. He said, the only thing that I want you to do is go and feed my pigs. And you better take good care of those pigs. And you better not touch the pig's food. Because that's the pig's food. And this man had more regard for his pigs than for this son of this wealthy landowner. Now, if you were a Jew, you didn't want to be around pigs. In actual fact, Rabbi said, Cursed is the man who raises pigs. Pigs were such an unclean animal. But here he was a Jew having to go and work among the hogs, feeding them. His dining companions were once his father and he ate the best of the best. Then he went into the world and he had this wealth and he had so many friends. They dined together. And now he'd been re resigned to dining with the pigs. How the tables had turned. He couldn't even sustain himself. But... He came to his senses. Now in that state, the father said, the son was dead and he was lost. When his father looked back at that period, verse 32, his father says, the son of mine was dead and he was lost. It's like that when we were far away from God, we're dead in our sins and lost without hope. But he came to his senses and he realized he had done wrong. He confessed his sin. He said 
to his father father i've sinned against heaven and i've sinned against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son so he's done his part but now what would the father do would the father forgive him would the father wrestle with the decision to forgive him or rebuke him would he accept him back or reject him well the law of moses could have guided the father because this is what the law of moses says Deuteronomy 21 verse 18. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother should take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Wow, he had a biblical precedent to reject his son and punish him. So what does the father do? Well, the father sees him in the distance because the father had been looking out for him. Signs of hope that his son would one day return. His father saw him in the distance and did something that was really undignified for a father to do. The father ran. I have a book called The Father Ran. Speaking about the love that God has for people. It means that the father took his long rope, hitched it up, and he ran towards his son. Now an elder shouldn't be running. It should be the son running. But his father humbled himself, and he was reconciled. The words were hardly out of his mouth. Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. When the father says, quick, bring the fattened calf. Get it ready. Bring a robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger put sandals on his feet we're gonna celebrate my son that was dead i thought was dead was gone forever he's back let's have a party so different to what he expected he expected to be disciplined rebuked i told you so it's not easy for a parent to take back a prodigal a prodigal leaves and there have been many arguments the relationship between the prodigal and the parent is worn out and worn out and worn out. So that the prodigal feels so frustrated, they just leave. And the parent doesn't want them to, relieve, to leave, but it's almost with a sigh of relief that the parent says, I'm just glad it's over. They always want them back, they wish them well. But there's that sigh of relief. Then for this man to have taken his parents' inheritance and still have the audacity to come back and say, can I come back? Well, have you come back with the money? No, I've come back with nothing. I've got nothing to show for it. All the lessons that I've, I've taught you, you've come back and learned? Nothing. It's not easy to take back a prodigal. Your heart, the inclination of our hearts is to sit you down, let me tell you what you've done. Let me tell you of how you've affected this family. But the father doesn't do this. The father receives him. See, 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the father restored him. And everything that the father gave back to him has symbolic meaning. When the father gave him back the robe, it stood for the honor. He had just been assigned the lowest rank of a slave with the pigs. And the father says, you're not coming back as a slave. No son of mine will ever be a slave. You're a son. You take the position of a son. Here's your robe. He gave him a ring and that stands for authority. It was the family's signature, signature ring, signature ring. 
And that explained that he received back his authority. The shoes represented restoration to a status of a full family member. Because in those days, the slaves went bare feet and the sons, family members, wore shoes. And the mere fact that he, the mere fact that he gave him shoes says, you're now a son. You're not going to walk around bare feet. And then a feast was made to convey his love and appreciation. It was the fattened calf. That's the one you keep for big, special occasions. That night, they were going to pry. They were going to eat meat. And they were going to eat meat. And some more meat. Nice, juicy cuts of beef. They were going to have crispy, hot, roast potatoes. There was going to be dessert. Now, I know it's very insensitive of me to say these things. To you who are fasting, you shall overcome. Thou shalt have thy fattened calf one day, but not today. I don't suggest you go and try and eat that meat today. But for them, they were having a good time. I like the way Haddon Robinson expresses what was happening here. He says, with God, the calf is always the fattened calf. The robe that God gives is always the best robe. The ring is the signet ring. Shoes are always the best shoes. God gives you always the best when you're his son and when you're his daughter. Even if you've messed up big time and you come back to the Father, God will always give you the best. You see, there's no probationary period with God. God's not going to say, you're coming back, let me check it out, let me see if this is real. This is too good to be true. Let me give you a six month wait and see trial period. The Father said, let's do it now. You bet, let's do this now. That's the goodness of God. And that's how the story ends on a good note. But you know, we read, we read that he only fell away once. This was not a foolish son. He'd been foolish in the beginning, but he learned his lesson. This is not somebody that was with the father, left, came back, left, came back, left, came back. At the end of the day, if, we, if he was like that, I, I believe the father would have said, are you in or are you out? You need to make a decision. So the story of this runaway son is common to us all. Up to the point where the son runs away and ends up in trouble. Up until that point, unfortunately, that's the story of some people. They run away and they can't find their way back. They get into drugs. They get into prostitution. They leave their faith. Not everyone returns home. And some who return home, they come home too late. The father's passed on. The family's moved on. They cannot even be reconciled with the people whose hearts they broke. Not all sinners return. You know, some who were enthusiastic for God in Sunday school, felt on fire in a youth group, wander away in their later years. They go to university, they meet the wrong people, and they seem not to be able to come back. They'll pop in for a church service, but they can't quite put down roots ever again. I met a young man, I bumped into him, well, a young adult. <clears throat> and he found that I was out that I was a pastor. So we got chatting. He said, you know, I used to be a youth leader in, this, in the city. I said, that's interesting. Where are you now? No, no, I don't go to church anymore, things like that. I said to him, well, why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to our church? You know, he never came. He never came. I don't know if he's still in his prodigal wanderings, but some people never find their way back home. 
But for those who do want to return, they need to know the Father left the light on. And if you're going to come back home, the Father will welcome you back. And that was what Jesus was trying to teach people with these parables. If you and I have a prodigal experience, we come to our senses, we're willing to humble ourselves, confess our sins, God is more than willing to take us back. And if we were once children of God, and we've left so many things, we've lost so many things, God will take us back and He'll put us on a place of restoration, a path of restoration. God will give you back what you lost. God will put you back. Because that's the Father heart of God. Religion says you've blown your chances, and God says, I'll give you as many chances as you need. But you need to re re realize your life is going to run out. And then one day you may have every intention of returning and your life will be taken from you before you have a chance to be reconciled. And then it will be too late. And hell is filled with many people like that. Heaven is filled with many people who were prodigals. And they were written off by family members. But somewhere in another city, they happened to wander into a church at the right moment. And God said, this is the day that you're coming back. You're going to be reconciled. And sometimes they find their way back after that to their hometown. And they have good news to report to their family members. Mom, Dad, I'm sorry for all the things I've done. I've let you down. I've thrown away the family name. But I want you to know in that other town, I encountered Jesus. I surrendered my heart again. And I'm back with him. And I want to be reconciled to you. And we ought to give them a second chance. And that's very, very difficult. Because your heart can become hard. But I want to say, give your people another chance. Give your children another chance, because God will give you another chance. Amen. Now, this year is a year that we want to start off having made a recommitment to the Lord. We may have felt that to a certain extent in 2020, 2021, we've had something of a prodigal experience, even if it is just to a certain degree. You may have felt that, in actual fact, your prodigal experience had nothing to do with COVID. You were on the path to becoming a prodigal in 2018, 2019, 2017. All that COVID did is push you off the edge. But definitely you've strayed from the Father. Now how about you today? Have you ever made a commitment to the Lord? Have you said to the Lord, oh, I'm going to find you, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. Maybe you've done that already, but you need to make a recommitment. I would like every one of us to start fresh with God. Whether your freshness is the first time or whether it is just, Lord, so much of that prodigalness residue is in me. I want to leave it behind. I'm starting with a recommitted year. Is that you this morning? Then let's pray. I want to ask you to close your eyes, please. You perhaps have never made a decision for Christ. But today you realize that God is a God who loves sinners, welcomes them into his company, eats with them, is more than willing to forgive and restore. If you want to make that decision and you're making it for the first time today, I'm going to ask you to join me in the front in a prayer. Those who are making a recommitment, you will stay there, we'll pray where you are. But it's so important that you make a decision, that you remember, that you take an action that corresponds to your decision. And that action is going to be to join me in the front. It was around about 1992, I think it was, that I walked down to church. I've never been in that church in my life. Pastor Gary Paul said, if you're here today 
and you haven't made a decision for Christ, God wants you to know you're not to leave the church until you've made it. I came down the aisle from the back to the front. I was the only person who stood up. Maybe you don't feel like you need to be the only person. It doesn't really matter. It's the start of your journey with the Lord. Others already made that commitment. They walked down the aisle. How about you today? Can I ask you if you want to make that commitment that you join me up front? And we're going to pray together. Don't worry about what people are going to This is between you and God. for listening to today's podcast if you enjoyed today's podcast remember to share it with people you feel may be encouraged by it as well also remember for more resources to watch our video sermons or to find out more about Ramsey Baptist Church visit us online at www.rbaptchurch.org